from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. such a joy and rich blessing to worship with you. There's nowhere I'd rather be any weekend uh, than here. And I hope that you're equally blessed. Um, I'm going to just ask maybe a strange question before I start out. But uh, has anyone here besides me um, ever had an accident with a table saw? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, one? Okay. Well, okay. Well, I feel better now. on July 17th, 2019, I learned uh, how not to use a table saw. And what I was doing was I was putting down some flooring, and um, I didn't want to take the time to go to my father-in-law's house and get my jigsaw, get his jigsaw. And so, you know, I thought, I'm just going to take this plank, and I'm just going to cut a notch out of the center of it. And very quickly I learned, okay, you want to be on the right side of the, of the table saw, not putting um, something on top of it. So um, in a split second, you know, it, it, you know, it hung up and zoom, my finger went through it. And uh, it was horrifying. Uh, so very embarrassing accident, but uh, for me a true moment of suffering. Um, and I had to have microsurgery in order to reconnect my tendons and my, my nerves but my finger's not the same. Um, there's a long two-inch scar down it. It's crooked. Um, and, you know, the feelings haven't come back yet. Well, at one point, I remember praying about my accident and praying about my finger. And one thing I realized as I was praying was that my joy does not come from having a perfect finger. I, and I just, I just found, just, this was very satisfying to pray and reflect upon. Um, it also occurred to me that many people have been through much, much worse. They have deep scars, deep wounds. Their lives have been altered by their suffering. There's, and uh, they're numb. Um, all, all I did was cut my finger um, and so I, I realized as I prayed, I've got very little to complain about. Well, today we will be examining uh, the weighty subject of suffering. It is tremendously important that we think rightly, biblically, about suffering. How we think rightly about suffering and how we glorify God when we do will be the subject of the sermon today. My main goal in this suffering, above all else, is I want you to go away encouraged and full of hope. Because of sin, suffering is a fact of life. Um, it's something we all, we all have to deal with. Uh, some of you, here have suffered deeply in the past, and you may still be struggling. Some of you may be suffering right now, and maybe it's overwhelming. Uh, the wounds are fresh. And some of us may be about to enter a season of suffering in the very near future. 
You know, we typically do all we can to avoid suffering. Yet the Bible is clear that God uses suffering for our good and his glory. Uh, we see this in Romans 8, 28 to 29 and Hebrews 12, 10. Listen to this quote by J.I. Packer. We cherish shockingly strong illusions about having a right to accept, expect from God health, wealth, excitement, ease, excitement, and sexual gratification. It's shocking, but many people expect God's blessings. They feel entitled to them. Now, the truth is that a lot of us actually have a, a love-hate relationship with suffering. Uh, we gladly suffer for things like money and possessions, vacations, careers, retirement, um, good-looking bodies. Um, but if we're not benefiting from our suffering, if it involves things like um, anxiety and grief, um, loss, pain, then no, thank you. Listen to G.I. Packer again. He says, we are shockingly unaware that suffering Christianly is an integral aspect of biblical holiness and a regular part of business as usual for the believer. Shocking to hear, isn't it? Suffering should be viewed as business as usual for us. But our habit, right, is to run from it as fast as we can. Listen to Watchman Nee. He says, Let us remember that the one reason for all misunderstanding, for all fretfulness, all discontent is that we secretly love ourselves. Thus we plan a way whereby we can deliver ourselves. Many times problems arise due to our seeking a way of escape, an escape from the working of the cross. When we run from the difficult circumstances that God has ordained for us, for us, it shows that we are not trusting him as we should. And we rob ourselves of opportunities that God gives us to glorify him, to grow and mature in Christ-likeness and expand his kingdom. Well, my aim this morning will be, and this is in your handout, to address the definition nature and scope of suffering, to show God's sovereignty over suffering and his active hand in it, to show the importance of a right biblical understanding of God and man, to show the benefit and value of suffering, and finally, to show how we should respond to suffering. There are two questions I want to encourage you to keep in mind as, as I speak. First is, how are you suffering today? And second is, how have you been responding to your suffering? Here's the big idea. As a Christian, nothing will influence your ability to deal with suffering more than your humble submission to and your firm confidence in your loving Father's sovereignty over every detail of your life. I will not be giving an exposition over a particular passage this morning, but I have chosen a selection of passages to anchor our sermon in. Um, I'll be using, mentioning uh, a good number of passages, so you might want to grab a, a pen, make sure you have a pen handy. 
So if you could please stand for the reading of God's word. John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Romans 8, 28 to 29 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might become the firstborn of, among many brothers. James 1, 2-4 Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 1 Peter 4, 19 Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before your mighty throne this morning, desperate for you, hungry for your life-giving word, thirsty for your presence, eager to know you more, and deeply desirous to change Conform our thoughts to your thoughts this morning. Make our hearts sensitive to your gentle voice. Bring our minds into right alignment with your word and change us, Lord, please, from the inside out. Do whatever it takes, Father, to conform us to the image of your Son. As we focus this morning on your sovereignty over suffering, I pray that our hearts would be stirred to worship as we realize that you are infinitely greater and more loving than we could ever imagine. I pray that our hearts would overflow in worship with joy and hope-filled worship as we recognize your complete control over every detail of our lives. Lord, we commit this time now to you for your glory. We pray in the precious name of King Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, my first point, the definition, nature, and scope of suffering. Um, let's start out with the definition of suffering. And this, I've got a, a, a definition by J.I. Packer. He says, suffering is in the mind of the sufferer and may conveniently be defined as getting what you do not want while wanting what you do not get. And this is probably the most comprehensive uh, definition of suffering that I've, I've found. And it, it includes all possible forms of suffering. So, first of all, suffering is, is experiencing anything that would be undesirable to us. Anything such as physical pain, uh, injury, uh, being sick or hospitalized, job loss, financial loss, any type of conflict or divorce, trouble with the law, any type of addiction, Loneliness, anxiety, depression, and on and on. Suffering can also be anything that you desire but cannot have. And you know, the sky is the limit for all the things that we could want but not be able to get, right? But a good example here would be freedom. Uh, freedom from abuse or addiction or pain or slavery, 
I want to just review three general types of suffering. Uh, The first is punitive suffering. Uh, This is suffering that we deserve because of our sin. Uh, Deuteronomy 28 and Romans 1, 18 to 32 are, are good passages for this point. In 1 John 5, 14, Jesus told the lame man that he had healed, sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. Our sin causes suffering, both for us and for others. The second type of suffering is innocent suffering. Uh, This is suffering that is unmerited, uh, undeserved suffering, not brought on as a result of our sin. And it includes things like uh, loss, persecution, uh, sickness, tragedy, suffering from other people's sins. Now, even though people may experience innocent suffering, there is a danger that they may respond sinfully to it, which could result in additional suffering. We need to guard ourselves from this danger. Now, the third type of suffering is redemptive suffering. And redemptive suffering is suffering that we have responded to biblically in humility, obedience, and submission and therefore benefits us and glorifies God. Both, um, so, yeah, that's, and that's what we, we want to aim for. Uh, both innocent and punitive suffering can become redemptive. Um, I found out something recently that uh, really amazed me, uh, something I, I found out about animals. Science has discovered that animals lack a part of the brain in the prefrontal cortex which governs self-awareness. And uh, as a result, there's a level of suffering that they do not experience. So, for example, if you're slaughtering an animal, it definitely feels the pain, but it does not agonize in distress like we would since we're self-aware. And I just think this is a tremendous mercy of God. Well, because we are self-aware, we actually experience a level of suffering that animals do not experience. There are two primary levels of suffering. There's outer man suffering, which is any bodily, physical suffering. Um, And there's inner man suffering, which is suffering of the heart, of the mind, of the soul. And includes things like anxiety and depression, Uh, guilt and worry. Now, the thing to keep in mind here is that these two levels of suffering influence each other. So if you have um, outer man suffering, any physical suffering, like if you find out that you have cancer or if you have an accident with a table saw, um, that could cause you a measure of depression uh, or anxiety. Um, And on the flip side, if you are prone to, um, to excessive anxiety or depression, Uh, or if you have significant guilt because of unrepentant sin, that could result in some physical problems. So both outer man and inner man suffering influence each other. Now I'd like for you to become aware of, of everyone that's here and just look around you and know that everyone here is suffering somehow. Everyone. There's no exception. All of us are suffering somehow, and we all will suffer somehow in the future. The experience of suffering is universal. 
This is precisely why we should never be jealous of even anyone. Because you never know. You never know what someone is struggling with. Because of sin, suffering is a fact of life, and no one is exempt. I don't think I've ever seen suffering like I had when I worked a few years ago at the Roseburg Rescue Mission. Um, I, I grew up in the Middle East and I lived in Africa for a while, but I have never seen desperation like I saw there. Um, men would regularly come into my office off the street crying. Uh, they were abused. They were hungry. They were exhausted. They were sick, suffering from addiction. The stories of abuse would make you weep. And the things that they had done and the things that people had done to them would be unspeakable here. They had been incarcerated, but now that they were out, no one wanted anything to do with them. These men were broken. They were desperate. They were angry and frustrated, and they had no hope. So they self-medicated. A lot of them were suicidal. And the worst part is that they sincerely felt like no one cared. Now, as bad as that is, and that's bad, all of our suffering, no matter how you define and describe it, must be held up to and seen in light of the gospel. The divine Son of God became a man. And as the perfect God-man, he suffered much. Isaiah 53, verse 23 says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. But because Jesus loves us, He readily lived out the reality of this verse. He willingly took our sin upon himself, bore the full wrath of God, and suffered and died in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of Jesus' suffering, we have been saved from an eternity of the most horrifying, painful suffering imaginable and restored to a right relationship with God. All of our suffering pales in comparison to the suffering He experienced and endured on our behalf. Jesus and His suffering on our behalf and our hope in Him should be our worshipful meditation any time that we suffer in this life. My second point, God is sovereign over suffering, suffering, and his hand is actively involved in it. This is probably my weightiest point. I'll start off with the definition of sovereignty. God's sovereignty refers to his absolute and supreme authority, rule, and power 
over all things and His complete freedom to do all He pleases. The Bible is clear. God is sovereign over all things, including suffering. He rules over all suffering in the universe. There is no suffering that God is not in full control of. None. Your suffering never catches God off guard. He never looks at your suffering and thinks, oops, I didn't see that coming, or darn, I wish he had not done that. In a fallen and sinful world where people have the freedom to do the most heinous and wicked things imaginable, God is still in full control. He is sovereign. God's sovereignty over sin and evil is not passive, where he simply reacts and responds to people's behavior. The proactive nature of God's sovereign hand in suffering can be seen in Acts chapter 4, 27 to 28. The clear testimony of Scripture here is that God himself initiated, planned, and orchestrated orchestrated the death of his own son. Shocking to think about. Through the Bible, we see God taking a very active role in suffering. In the Bible, we see God afflicting, killing, and destroying. God completely destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, men, women, and children. In Daniel 4, we see God turning King Nebuchadnezzar into a beast. In Exodus, God turned the lives of the Egyptians into a nightmare with the plagues that he sent them. God killed many thousands of Israelites in the desert. He commanded the earth to swallow people and he struck others dead. God annihilated entire people groups when the Israelites entered Canaan. In 2 Samuel 24, God struck down 70,000 Israelites with a pestilence because of King David's sin. And in Acts chapter 5, we see God striking down Ananias and Sapphira for lying. Now, God did these things. If we kill and destroy and afflict, we sin, don't we? But if God kills and destroys and afflicts, He does not sin. Why is that? Well, because He is God and we are not. We are the creatures. He is the Creator. Isaiah 45, verse 7 says, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. In Deuteronomy 32, 39, it says, See now that I myself am He. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver out of my hand. Either God is sovereign over everything or He is not sovereign. And there are only two ways to respond to a God of such power and magnitude. Either we can suppress the truth in disbelief 
and live on our own terms and see how that works out. Or in a spirit of humility and worship, we can bow before God Almighty. How are we resolved to respond? Now, rather than be frightened, uh, be terrified at such a God, the Christian, more than anyone else, should delight and be comforted that God possesses such power. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Are those beautiful verses? God's divine sovereignty must be held in balance with his love and kindness. He's powerful and he's sovereign, but he's also good. He's powerful, but he's also loving. Well, my third point. A biblical understanding of God and man is crucial in a theology of suffering. A.W. Tozer says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Your life is shaped profoundly by what you believe. And nothing affects your theology and doctrine more than what you believe about God and man. People's views about God are typically either high or low. A low view of God sees him as weak, as powerless, as distant, uncaring. Man is viewed as much better than he really is and not at all deserving of his suffering. Low views of God also do not take sin seriously because God is viewed as distant. He's small. And, And man is looked at as important and very deserving. People who hold low views of God are quick to become angry when suffering comes their way. And they struggle as they continually fail at controlling their own circumstances. And the result is often additional suffering, such as anxiety and depression, worry and fear. Now, by contrast, a high view of God sees him as great and mighty all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. And man is seen as small, sinful, undeserving of any blessing from God. High views of God take sin seriously. You know what sin really is? Sin, in essence, is us looking at God and saying, Get off your throne! It belongs to me. I want to be in control, and I want to call the shots. Sin is an attempt to dethrone God. A high view of God will conclude that man is so sinful 
And God is so holy that the just and good consequence of that one sin in the garden is eternal punishment for all humanity. So we are fully deserving of any suffering that comes our way. Those who hold high views of God have peace and joy knowing that God is in complete control and that He purposefully and lovingly uses suffering for our good and His glory. We must seek to cultivate a vast, immense, bigger-than-life view of God that leaves us trembling in holy fear, where we hate sin with all of our hearts, where we are ready to do violence to anything that comes between us and God, where we are continually desperate for His presence, where we bow in full submission to His mighty hand, and where we trust Him completely, regardless of our circumstances. So here are the questions. What is your view of God and man? And second, how has your view of God and man up until now shaped how you respond to suffering? My next point, for the Christian, there is much value in suffering. First of all, the value in, of suffering is that it brings glory to God. The ultimate purpose of life is to glorify God. We see this in Romans 1, 21 to 23, and Romans eleven thirty six. There is no greater purpose in life than to, uh, greater than glorifying God. Now, this actually really offends some people. Like when man seeks his own glory, when we seek our own glory, it's sinful, isn't it? It's pride, it's arrogance. But when God seeks his own glory, it is not sinful. Why is that? Is there some double standard? Well, the reason is because in glorifying himself, God opens the door for us to enjoy, enjoy more of himself. In glorifying himself, God draws attention to the one thing that can change, influence, refine, and bless our lives the most, namely himself. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. We are to be people deeply committed to glorifying God in good times and in bad times. Everything in life should be done for God's glory, including our suffering. So how do we glorify God in our suffering. Let me suggest an answer. By responding to suffering in such a way that the world sees that our heart's affections are anchored in Christ and not in anything this world has to offer. So suffering comes and you pray, Oh Lord, 
My hope is in you. You are my treasure, not money, not pleasure, not possessions, not good health. You are my rock. You're my fortress. And my life is in your hands, and I worship you. God's glory should be our first priority in suffering, regardless of any benefit and value that it may bring us. We should be so committed to glorifying God in our suffering. Amen? The next point is that we should value suffering because it builds our character and makes us more like Christ. And here's something very key to keep in mind. God cares far more about the condition of your soul and your relationship with Him than He does your comfort, pleasure, and success in this world. And because this is true... He will gladly ordain all manner of difficulties and trials for you. For what purpose? To conform, fashion, and mold us into the image of His precious Son, Jesus. Romans 8.29 He will do whatever it takes to do this. So may I recommend a dangerous prayer? And I say dangerous because I believe with all my heart that God stands ready to answer these prayers. And here it is. Lord, do whatever it takes to make me more like your son Jesus. It's a purpose of life. It's a goal of our sanctification. And praying this, it must be kept in mind that in being like Christ, suffering is the supreme example we are called to imitate. Luke 9.23, First Peter 2.21-25, and First John 3.16 are three really good passages for this point. Lastly, the value of suffering can be seen in that it serves in the expansion of God's kingdom. The absolute worst suffering imaginable is the suffering awaiting those who reject the gospel. Nothing, nothing should stir Christian zeal for gospel proclamation more than the desire to see people saved from such suffering and brought in to the great joy and hope that we have in Christ. Suffering is an opportunity to proclaim Christ. When we suffer, we have an opportunity to tell people about the great hope that we have in Jesus. When Paul and Silas were, in, were beaten and thrown into prison, in Acts chapter 16, 23 to 25, uh, that, that's an excellent example. Suffering well in a biblical and God-honoring way reveals the glory and worth of God to the world. And our suffering demonstrates to people that our treasure is not in this world. Now, when other people suffer, 
We have an opportunity, don't we? To enter their world and to love and serve them and to proclaim Christ. Christians step into people's suffering. And that is what we do because that's what our Savior did for us. And we step into people's suffering, not out of obligation, but because the love of Jesus compels us to do so. 2 Corinthians 5.14 So in closing out this point, here are a few other uh, benefits to suffering for the Christian. Suffering reminds us of our hope in Christ. Suffering helps expose our sin. Suffering humbles us. Suffering helps remind us about the purpose, purpose of life, which is to glorify God. Suffering helps us to remember Jesus and what just his sacrifice on our behalf. And it draws attention to his amazing love for us. Suffering stirs compassion in us and it ignites the flames of intercession and helps us pray. Suffering equips and prepares us for ministry. And suffering helps increase our faith and trust in God. So I hope it's clear that for the Christian, there is much value in suffering. Now my final point is that we as Christians should be resolved to respond well to suffering. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God purposefully led the Israelites into the desert where they suffered hardships for 40 years. And through suffering, God drew what was in their hearts to the surface so that it could be dealt with. And in the same way, God leads us into times of suffering for the exact same reasons. He wants to see what's in our hearts. What characterizes us more than anything else is not how we suffer, but rather how we respond to suffering. At the moment of suffering, what goes on in our hearts is of first importance to God. And when we respond humbly and obediently, we are blessed and God is glorified. But when we respond sinfully to the suffering that he ordains for us, there exists great potential that our suffering may increase. So when suffering comes, we must be resolved, my brothers and sisters, to respond well in a way that glorifies our King. So suffering is a fact of life. And we cannot avoid it. There's nothing, there's nothing we can do to avoid it. It will come. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow or next week. But it will come, guaranteed. Maybe a car wreck or some work-related accident. Not lose your job or your health or your wealth. Those you love may die tragically. You could get cancer or some other disease. We do not know what suffering awaits us in the future. We do not know. 
But whenever suffering comes, and however it comes, be resolved to glorify God by responding well, by humbling ourselves and being Christ-like. When suffering comes, be resolved not to run from it. God's people are not to fear suffering. We're not to fear it. Psalm 27 and 91 are two good passages for this point that I highly commend for your meditation. When tempted to fear, run to Christ, but never away from the difficult circumstances that He has ordained for you. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He said, It is the mark of a grown-up man as compared to a callow youth that he finds his center of gravity wherever he happens to be at the moment. And however much he longs for the object of his desire, it cannot prevent him from staying at his post and doing his duty. Never, never conclude that suffering means that you are out of the will of God. Be resolved to stand firm right where God has sovereignly placed you. When suffering comes, be resolved to submit and yield to it. Consider your your suffering as a gift, as a blessing, as an opportunity from God. Your Father's trying to help you. So steward your suffering well. Allow it to do its work in you. Allow it to equip you. Allow it to draw you closer to Christ, not further away from Him. And allow it to be a platform for the gospel. When suffering comes, be resolved to trust God. You know, the impulse that we are trying to develop is that when the pain of difficulty and difficulties come, our first response is to trust our loving Father. Trust the sovereign God who loves you. Trust that He is at work in you. Trust that He is at work in and through your suffering. Trust that He will glorify Himself through it. And trust in the promises of His Word. Trust Him when you do not understand. You know, we will not always have the answers to the why of suffering. For a few years ago, we had some friends, Bill and Betty. And they're both with the Lord. But they had been married a long time. I don't know, over 50 years for sure. But when Betty came down with stage 4 cancer, they went in their backyard and they dug a small hole and they found a stone resembling a tombstone. And there before God in prayer, they agreed not to ask why or what if anymore. They were resolved to trust God. When suffering comes, be resolved to trust and obey God's word. God's word does not simply give us good literature. It reveals rock-solid, hope-giving, life-changing reality that is meant to be fully trusted. So obey it. Depend on it. Nourish your souls on it. When suffering comes, 
be resolved to live a life of full devotion to your Savior Jesus. Our trust of God will increase as we devote ourselves to our relation of Christ above all else. It's like all other relationships. The more time you give it, the more trust there will be. Psalms 9 verse 10 says that those who know your name will trust in you. If you neglect the relationship and do not give it the attention it deserves, you will struggle with trusting God in times of suffering. Guaranteed. And as our trust in God grows, so does our ability to joyfully submit to the circumstances that God sends our way. Lastly, be resolved to praise and worship. And in terms of priority, this should be our first response, is to praise and worship our King. Take note of Job's response to his suffering. In Job 1, 20 to 21, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Our response to suffering must be like Job's. Lord, I do not know why you are allowing this, but I worship you. I worship you. Suffering is an opportunity to worship as we remember and meditate on Jesus' suffering on our behalf. In closing, be comforted by the fact that God is mighty, powerful, and in complete, full control of every detail of your life. And be comforted by the fact that He is faithful and good and loving. Trust Him. He loves you. If you are presently suffering right now, let me encourage you, run to your Savior Jesus. Run to Him. Not away from Him. And spend time reading, praying, and meditating on passages that deal with the gospel and speak to the great hope that we have in Jesus and allow your suffering to be something that draws you closer to him. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. O oh, great, mighty, faithful, and loving Father, who have we in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing that we desire besides you. Our flesh and hearts may fail, but you, you are our strength and portion forever. Lord, we acknowledge that we belong to you and exist for your glory. So be glorified in our lives. Lord, be also glorified in our suffering. Our firm confidence in our suffering is that you are always out for our good and your glory. 
And we know, Lord, that the good that you desire is that we conform to the image of your Son. So we pray, Lord, that you do whatever it takes to make this happen. Lord, I pray for those who have suffered deeply in the past and they're still processing. I pray for those who are hurting now, Lord, and it's, it's difficult. And I pray for those of us who might be entering a season of suffering very soon. Lord, I lift them up before your mighty throne. I pray that they may persevere in keeping their eyes firmly fixed on you. And as they do, may they be greatly comforted. May they know the sweetness of your comforting presence, Lord. And may they be completely confident that your sovereign hand is in full control over every detail of their lives. As they offload their cares before your mighty throne, may they leave overflowing with joy and hope in you. For your glory, we pray all this, Lord. We pray in the precious name of King Jesus. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.